what's wrong with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mamas. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama. Only attracted to things that'll bring the trauma. Overseas, yeah, we trying to stop terrorism. But we still got terrorists here living in the USA. The big CIA, the bloods and the crips and the KKK. But if you only have love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And to discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get Mayhem.org, streaming worldwide online. Welcome to Community Justice Talks. I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. It's a pleasure to be with you here today, and boy, do we have a great conversation just right around the corner here with Van Jones. Van Jones is somebody that I've had a lot of admiration for for at least a decade. And as I spoke of his uh, bio earlier, He was former special advisor to the Obama White House and considered to be one of his generation's most eloquent spokespeople about social justice, founder of some extraordinary organizations, uh, co-founder of of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, Color of Change, and Green for All, and his most recent book, Rebuild the Dream, highly recommend it. More about Van at vanjones.net, but let's get into the conversation with him. He's here with us live via phone, and um, we're talking about the state of American justice and uh, rising solutions with uh, with Van today. So it, it's just an honor, really, to have you here with us, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, Van. Well, Welcome. First of all, for the opportunity to be here, I, I really appreciate it, and um, this is uh, I think a high time now. I think for the country to have a real discussion uh, in the wake of Ferguson right. and all the other things that are going on. Um, I think everybody, no matter what color you are, what political perspective you have, we've got to be able to do better than this. And, Absolutely, uh, it's time to have that conversation. Well, uh, let's just dive right in. Let's have it, um, Van. Can you can you frame for us what your view? of the state of the American justice and criminal justice system is at the moment? Right now, uh, it's a a scandal and an embarrassment. Um, And I I say that uh, from a global perspective. Uh, Let's just start with the facts, start with the data. Um, The United States is only about 5% of the world's population where we have a lot of influence. We're actually a pretty tiny country. There's about 7 billion people in the world we only have about 300 million here, so uh, we're 5%. But we have, in our country, 25% of the world's prisoners. Uh, in other words, uh, one out of every four people locked up anywhere in the world are locked up here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now, you could say that's because Americans are much more criminal than everybody else. <laughs> you could say it's because maybe our, our police are, are better at catching crooks uh, but actually, it turns out that that's not the reason. Uh, the reason is that our prison system um, just incarcerates people for much, much, much longer uh, for similar offenses than mm-hmm. almost any place in the world. And who you are, uh, if you have money for a lawyer, uh, you wind up, you're not, you don't go to prison. If your skin color uh, is dark, um, or if your skin color is light, I should say, you wind up not going to prison. So we have this double problem of a, a prison system that uh, is big, out of control, way out of proportion to the rest of the world, uh, that 
discriminates against people uh, statistically now. This isn't because mm-hmm. of the, of right. one person who's got racist ideas, but the numbers show if you're poor, if you're brown, if you're black, you're much more likely to go. And then there's another element that we don't often talk about, which is that there are now people who are making money off of incarceration. So you've now got a profit motive that's influencing our system. I was just going to ask you about that, the um, the profit motivation of companies such as, uh, I believe, the Geo Group and Correctional Corporations of America. And it also seems like there's a bit of a, a partnership with health corporations and otherwise, um, as well as slave labor. Is that true? Uh, what could be called slave labor? Yeah, well, uh, you have companies like the ones you just mentioned, Correctional Corporation of America, one of the most notorious. There's also Wackenhut and others. What do they do? They go to state governments. They go to state legislators. They go to governors, and they say, look, you're running a prison system. Uh, let us run it for you. You give us your prisoners, uh, and we will run it at a lower cost. I will run that system. But you've got to guarantee us that you're going to give us X number of prisoners. Otherwise, our business plan doesn't work. And so you literally have now governments promising, no matter how low the crime rate goes, no matter uh, how good we do with our schools or how much uh, we do telling our kids not to get in trouble, that regardless of what's happening at the community level, a certain number of beds have to be filled so that private for-profit corporations can make the money that's been promised to them. Now, this is a scandal and outrage. Now, mm-hmm. at the beginning, it was a scandal. Somebody might have said, oh, well, here he goes on some left-wing rant. This offends the sensibility of conservatives as well as liberals. Right. Nobody wants to live in a country where, no matter what's going on, uh, you have people who are literally making money, trafficking in human flesh, uh, turning the, 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 the Dow Jones into the equivalent of a high-tech slave auction because you have some self-interested, self-dealing corporations that have cut a, a, a nasty, despicable deal with our government. That shouldn't be happening. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. That's not the way our justice system was supposed to be working, and, and it has to be changed. And, the, and this is indeed a, a severe um, issue that is coming to a head with you know a pattern of of a lot of events in our recent uh, couple of years, um, escalation of losses of life, shootings, police violence. Um, it's a bipartisan issue, it appears. And I, I just am wondering, Van, what your thoughts are on um, our system of punishment. Um, you, you've spoken quite a bit over the years about uh, ways of addressing our system uh, towards solutions. And um, I wonder, are we going to be forever a punishment nation? Is that what, how you see us? Uh, and where do we go from here? Well, I, the great thing is that there are real solutions. And you know, once, if you're willing to look at the problem long enough, uh, and most people just kind of turn their head away, um, but if you look at the problem long enough, it turns out there are good solutions, and there are good solutions that are on the way. One of the most important things that I can say before we get down to the policies that make a tremendous difference, the policies that actually save money and reduce crime and reduce the number of people who are locked up, uh, before we get to the policies, let's just talk about the politics. 
it used to be the case that if you said anything about, um, uh, you know, we're, we, we got too many people in prison, then you were accused of being soft on crime. If you were running for office, they might run a Willie Horton ad against you, acting as if you're on the side of rapists and murderers and all kind of people. Um, and you, you, know, you, you were either for law and order or you were soft on crime. And both Democrats and Republicans said, listen, we, we don't want to be considered soft on crime. And so you had even Bill Clinton uh, saying we're going to have this crime bill and put 100,000 more cops on the streets. People forget we doubled the prison population in America from 1 million to 2 million under Bill Clinton. Not under Ronald Reagan, not under George W. Bush, under Bill Clinton. So Democrats and Republicans are equally culpable on this. Mm-hmm. Um, now that is beginning to change. Here's the good news. The politics now are starting to move back towards sanity. Um, Republicans now are beginning to speak out. You have all three branches of the Republican uh, uh, domestic coalition beginning to speak out. Uh, the, the, the red state fiscal conservative governors, people like Rick Perry in Texas, are saying, we don't want to have to raise taxes to pay for more prisons. Uh, that's an advantage. You have libertarians like Rand Paul, who is now going on the floor in the Senate saying, uh, we have too many people locked up. And he's even quoting Michelle Alexander, who wrote that great book, The New Jim Crow. Right, right. And he's explicitly talking about the racial dimension, which you don't hear that often. That's a positive. And then lastly, you've got the evangelicals who, um, are beginning to find in their Christian hearts um, the wisdom to say, listen, it's not family values to take some young person who made a mistake, tear them away from their family, tear them away from their community, and then put them in a prison where they're going to be brutalized and then stigmatized forever. Where's the redemption in that? Where's the family values in that? So suddenly you begin to see the Republican beginning to move in a better direction. Uh, that's why um, I reached out and joined forces with Newt Gingrich. Um, I was on CNN for a year with him on Crossfire. Mm-hmm. We found we didn't agree on anything except for this idea that prisons are out of control. And so we reached out. We were going to be uh, leading a campaign next year called Cut 50, hashtag Cut 50. And in other words, cut the prison population in half over a 10-year wow. period. So that Excellent. we can just use prisons for only the people who really need to be there, not people with mental health issues, not people who have done you know, nonviolent drug offenses, not people who can be rehabilitated um, easily with other programs, but just a very, very small uh, number. And so prisons can be more effective for those cases where it is, is appropriate. But most of the people in prison right now, I believe the majority, uh, could be much more effectively supported to become better citizens and community members mm-hmm. with other means. And so before we get to politics, I just want to point out the politics are changing. Excellent. And you said earlier that this aspect of um, 
you know, a system in transition from punishment to uh, perhaps conflict conflict prevention programs, um, even restorative justice programs, which are saving time and money and dropping recidivism rates significantly in, uh, at least in Colorado and in programs in Florida. And um, those are documented, by the way. Um, 8% recidivism in uh, Longmont, Colorado, with the Longmont Community Justice Partnership, for example. Um, but my point being is that you you were underscoring that um, that punishment and uh, retributive justice. Um, I believe you were saying that, that that there's other ways to look at it that that um, still hold people accountable. Um, and I wonder why people are so afraid of um, you know of of allowing the statistics to speak. Can you, can you talk a little bit about why people might be resistant to solutions that actually could work in the future and already are working, and well, um, how people are held, still held accountable for their actions? Sure. Well, look, there are two very different visions of justice. There's what you mentioned, the retributive sense, uh-huh. and then there's a restorative sense. And just because everybody isn't you know, deep into the philosophy on this, let me just take a minute. Um, you know, when you talk about retribution, that is a very natural um, response, a human response. It's basically revenge. Somebody does something bad to you, somebody does something bad to your neighbor, to your child, uh, to your community, you want to do something bad to them uh, as a deterrent and as a, as a way to kind of incapacitate that person. Uh, we are going to hurt you, you hurt us, we're going to hurt you. So you add damage to damage, and that's how you get to justice. That's the, the retributive vision. And, you know, there, there, there's some emotional power to that, and there's some logical reasoning to that. The problem is that if all you have is a retribution-based system, over time you wind up adding more damage to more damage to more damage, and what do you end up with? You end up with a damaged set of communities, and at the end of the day, really a damaged country. What does it look like? Go to any urban environment now. So many people have been put in prison for so long for such minor offenses that you now have whole communities of people where being you know, thrown into prison is not even a stigma anymore. It's just almost a, a rite of passage part of growing up. That's not what prisons are supposed to be for. And you have people who are, are permanently injured emotionally and otherwise, professionally and otherwise, stigmatized, and are the communities any safer? For all that money, all that expense, all that pain, are are these communities safer? Uh, You could argue that they are actually less safe. So is there a different view? Um, And there is a different view. Uh, The different view is, is what we call restorative justice. How do you know that you've gotten to justice? You've gotten to justice when the victim and the victimizer have both been made whole, have gotten to some place where um, they've been, uh, where there's uh, compensation, where there's apology, where there is accountability, but where there's also wholeness, where they both can go on and live better, better lives. The problem with the existing system is it doesn't care about the victim or the offender. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The victims often, first of all, so many people are in jail for victimless crimes like nonviolent drug abuse and possession. Um, uh, well, uh, certainly, uh, I'm not a champion of, of drug use or drug abuse, but it's, you know, the idea that somebody right. who is 
purchasing drugs for their own use to go to prison for 15 years uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, I think, to anybody. But the other thing is that so often someone who's been a victim of crime, they don't necessarily want that person to go to prison. Somebody stole my bike, somebody stole my car. You don't necessarily want that person to go to prison for 10 years and never be able to work or vote again, but you would like an apology. You would like some sense it's not going to happen again. You would like some compensation. You would like for something to happen where that person is held accountable in a way uh, that uh, you're not going to have a continuation of that behavior. Well, you can't get that. If you're a victim of crime in this country Mm -hmm. or survivor of crime in this country, you can't sign up for that. What you can sign up for is participate in putting this person away forever um, or, or for some long period of time with no apology, with no compensation, with no real sense of closure, or just don't call the police. Well, what we're saying now is with, with restorative justice approaches, the data is beginning to show that, you know, for a huge category of offenses, and I'm not talking about rapists and murderers, I mean for the vast majority of offenses. Mm-hmm. If you set people down uh, and you give them the opportunity to fully understand the consequence of what they just did, if you stole something, if you, uh, uh, you, know, you burned something, you did something bad, you have to sit there and listen to that store owner, listen to that parent, understand where they're coming from, really get it, and then you've got to put, put some time in, do some work, take some classes, um, maybe even do some time. But mm-hmm. you're, it's all toward wholeness and healing. It turns out those programs are cheaper to run. It turns out when you say recidivism, what does that mean? That means going back to prison, mm-hmm. getting back in trouble. It turns out those programs are way, way more effective statistically than throwing people in dungeons where they hurt each other and um, and make communities safer. And so what we're saying is based on the data, based on the statistics, based on the outcome, based on proof point after proof point after proof point, there is a better, smarter way to get to safety, a better, smarter way to get the violence down, a better, smarter way to get the, the crime down. And it is with restorative justice um, leading the way and, and retributive justice beginning to be sunsetted in our country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about communities and responses. Um, given that we have just faced the Ferguson verdict, and uh, I just want to mention that we had uh, a community member from Ferguson who has been a part of what might be called a restorative response um, to that verdict and to the killing of Michael Brown and police violence. Uh, a lot is coming to a head. So, Van, given that you are such an incredibly um, powerful community organizer um, with a lot of wisdom to share from all you've seen, how are you seeing communities respond to this um, verdict? And how do you see us doing a better job both in responding and in preventing these kinds of things in the future? Well, I have to say I've been heartbroken by the entire train of catastrophes and disasters that have flowed from uh, the killing of of Mike Brown. Um, Probably the hardest thing for me is watching how... um, divided we are. Mm-hmm. 
it's almost like you give you you have an ink blot test, and yeah, you, know, you show the classic thing. You show somebody an ink blot. It's just a blot. You can't even tell what it is. And you ask, well, what is it? What is this? And somebody goes, oh, well, it's a butterfly. And somebody else says, oh, well, it's a cow. Well, somebody else says it's something else. Well, what you're seeing really just is more a reflection of your own mind state than it is of um, of anything else. But the problem should be if you're rational, rational person, and you look at the ink blot, and you see a butterfly. But then half of the country says, what do I see? Oh, I see uh, a, a lunatic with a knife trying to kill my mother. Say, wait a minute. Hold on a second. <laughs> I, d- I don't see that. But why do so many other people looking at the same data come to such a radically different conclusion? And why do they come to that conclusion? And, and why is this conclusion so disturbing? So if you're a white male conservative who's never had a problem with the police, and you look at the ink blot, and you go, oh, well, you know, it's just a cop doing his job. And yet you have people marching in the streets, and you have, you know, people, uh, you know, not for one day, but for 100 days, and you have people all across the country saying they see not a butterfly, but, you know, a, a madman with a knife trying to kill my mother. There's, you must be missing something. You know, either you have to believe that the vast majority of African Americans who reacted to this are just all somehow delusional, um, which is, you know, a very interesting form of white supremacy if you actually can dismiss mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the entire uh, uh, difference between black and white perspectives on this. Just black people just like to play the race card. Black people are just lazy and violent. Like it, all that is stuff the Klan would have said 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. So either uh, you are going to dismiss all all those opinions, which is very shocking, or you at least have to be curious. You at least have to say, look, I don't necessarily agree with these people's conclusions, but I have to be curious about what is happening in my country, what right. is happening in, this, in, in, in the community of Ferguson, what is happening in the world that so many people see it so differently. It, to me, the lack of curiosity and the dismissal of black pain, the dismissal of black perspectives uh, is very, very dangerous because it suggests not that just that there's a difference of opinion about a muddy uh, factual situation, but there's a difference of worldview and that there is a difference of compassion and concern and consideration and belief in the humanity and, and wisdom and dignity of a whole set of our population. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is very, very heartbreaking. Yes, it is. I, it makes me wonder what your thoughts are uh, on how we might go about bridging the divide with such impossible um, things that are occurring um, as far as worldviews and you know people who are, are maybe not even willing to walk in another's shoes to see um, you know it's it's all it's impossible almost to to do that but at least to to extend compassion and understanding. And I wonder what what your thoughts are on how we move forward um, and how we can address these issues face front and stop um, putting them under, you know, the the rug. Like you had mentioned Michelle Alexander earlier, and I just have so much respect for her and the new Jim Crow. And she's been on this show before and shared her thoughts and um, evidence 
and a powerful, powerful speaker. And um, I just, again, can, can you share a bit with, with us what you think we can do, if anything, to begin to heal the divide? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, I can only speak to what I'm trying to do. Again, uh, Cut50, a hashtag Cut50 is a campaign that we're running out of uh, my organization. My organization is called uh, Dream Corps Unlimited. Uh, Dream like Dr. King's dream, Corps like the Marine Corps Unlimited. So Dream Corps Unlimited, um, dot org. Uh, we're running a campaign called Cut50. It's a campaign to cut the prison population in half in 10 years, working with Democrats and Republicans. Both sides can come together now and say, you know, we're a big part of the problem here is you just have so many young people who are going to jail. Often, if you're African-American and you're in an urban environment, the statistics show, the numbers show, you're not doing more drugs than the white kids in the suburbs. Uh, white kids in the suburbs do the same amount of drugs as the or urban black kids, but you're, you're seven times more likely to go to prison. So Democrats and Republicans, Republicans should come together to just reduce that overall blunt force of that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we're doing at, at Dream Core Unlimited, besides Cut 50, is a campaign we call Yes, We Code. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, We mm-hmm. Can, but Yes, We Code uh, is a campaign to get 100,000 low-opportunity, high-potential young people uh, learning how to code computers. Uh, if you could get 100,000 young people, African-American, Latino, Native American, girls and boys, young men and young women participating in this digital revolution, not just as downloaders, but as uploaders, uh, creating their own apps, creating their own companies, you might begin to see a change in both the economics and the culture in some of these uh, communities about which we're all so concerned. So are there answers out there? Yes, there are. Um, There are policies out there that, again, Red state governors in Texas and Mississippi are putting forward answers to reduce the amount of time that people are spending behind bars for low-level offenses. Just that could make a tremendous difference. Mm -hmm. Are there answers? Absolutely. Uh, It turns out that one out of every five kids, no matter what color, uh, Eskimo, Appalachia, uh, uh, Hollywood, whatever, one out of every five kids has the aptitude to be a computer engineer. Uh, it's a particular kind of a mindset, a particular kind of a brain function. Doesn't mean every kid has been trained. Doesn't mean every kid has gone to the right school. Doesn't mean every kid has the right attitude emotionally, but it does mean from an aptitude point of view, even something mm-hmm. as hard as engineering computers, one out of every five kids could do it. Well, what if we had an initiative, and that's what Yes We Code is all about, to try to find those one out of five kids from poor communities and get them uh, plugged in with this uh, um, set of opportunities when it comes to joining Silicon Valley and all the mm-hmm. miniature Silicon Valleys from Austin to Boston. Those kinds of things, I think, can bring people together across these different lines of party and race and, and viewpoint to say, here are some solutions. We can stop wasting genius. The problem with racism, the problem with uh, unexamined racial bias is that you wind up as a society wasting an awful lot of genius. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's you know, a Native American reservation 
or whether it's, you know, someplace in East Los Angeles or whether it's Oakland or Detroit, frankly, where it's Appalachia. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at people based on their zip code, on their accent, the slant of their eyes, the kink of their hair, the color of their skin, and dismissing whole swaths of people because you're only comfortable with a very narrow demographic as an employer, as a university, um, as a house of worship, uh, as a community, you wind up wasting and leaving out an awful lot of genius at a time when America needs to be tapping all the genius that we have to solve these tough problems. Mm-hmm. So are there answers? Yes, I absolutely believe it. Um, and I'm, I'm working on it. Proud to be working with Newt Gingrich on Cut50. Proud to be working with, with Google and Facebook on um, Yes, We Code. Right. We have a long way to go. Uh, Van, where can people find out more about that initiative? That's uh, Did you say you're going to be launching it uh, next, this coming year, Cut, Cut 50 with Newt yeah. Gingrich? And, and where online can people find out more about that? At vanjones.net or? Uh, I would encourage people to go to uh, either rebuildthedream.com, uh, rebuildthedream.com, or you could go to Dream Core Unlimited. Uh, .org, dream, like Dr. King's dream, core, like the Marine Corps, C-O-R-P-S, unlimited, uh, .org. So dreamcoreunlimited.org uh, um, .org is, a, is, a, is one place to go. You can also just, you know, Google hashtag cut 15 up. Great. I know we're, we're uh, running out of time here, Van, um, but I wondered if I could hold, hold on to you for a second here. And I have a question from, uh, a young woman who works as part of an RJ program, restorative justice program that is in Marin County. Uh, Her name's Marissa, and she wanted to ask a question of you directly. She says, given that juvenile crime is down 40% in my community and many others, what is the opportunity for how probation can reinvent itself to best serve the communities in which we operate? Well, uh, first of all, she's in, in Marin County. One of the great leaders of the Cut 50 movement is Jessica Jackson, who's an elected official mm-hmm. in Marin County. I think the youngest elected official in the history of Marin County is a young a crusader named Jessica Jackson. So give her a shout-out um, mm-hmm. to anybody listening in, in Marin County. She's a, 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 the real leader and spearhead of Cut 50. Um, I think that all resources, not just you know, probation center, um, all resources that can be diverted to data-driven, fact-based, um, uh, proven methodologies now, not just this mythology that you just damage more people, you'll get you know, more justice, but you know, can, be, can be redirected in that direction. That's the way we should be going. And I will say this, it's cheaper. But, you know, listen, yoga, art, music, meditation, gardening, these methodologies are so much cheaper than, you know, massive warehouses with concrete and steel and guns and video cameras and pepper spray and mace and handguns and all this stuff that we set up, uh, which costs so much money and causes so much harm, the stuff that actually makes a difference, especially for younger people, you know, just having some mentorship, having a sports program, having art, having therapy, uh, and you can do some of this stuff in large groups for, for little money. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage people, especially places like Marin County that have made such good progress and have such great leaders like Jessica Jack, I would encourage people to go even further uh, pushing for 
um, you know, the kinds of stuff that we know works in our own own lives as grown people. Um, uh, you know, like I said, meditation, yoga, all that stuff that sounds so weird, scientifically proven to be more effective than locking somebody up and hurting them. Right, right. And I, I want to give a shout out to the Youth Promise Act. Um, it's a, a policy on the table uh, called the Prison Reduction Through Opportunities, Mentoring, Intervention, Support, and Education. And it's uh, got very strong bipartisan legislation. I happen to serve as um, the Restorative Justice Fellow for the Peace Alliance, which is a national organization, and it's sponsored by them. Um, it has powerful support, and I'm wondering if um, you and Mr. Gingrich might uh, have any thoughts on getting behind that for this next year to pass it through. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I've heard such good things about it. I can't speak for Newt. I can speak for myself. It sounds very, very promising, and uh, we can add it to the list of, of great initiatives that we want to explore and possibly lift up. Great. We expect, we expect to have some kind of a major convening in uh, D.C. in the first quarter of Excellent. next year. And uh, that may be one. Of, it may well be one of the great ideas that gets lifted up there uh, when Newt and I get together in D.C. Excellent. Well, Van, I just so much appreciate your time today. I know we all do. And um, it's been a pleasure to host you for Community Justice Talks. Um, best of luck in everything. And I know that all of us are going to be getting behind your initiative with uh, Newt. And um, we'll talk to you again soon. That's great. Cut, cut 50. We can, we can do cut 50. the population in half in 10 years. So That's thank right. you very much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody, this is Community Justice Talks, and that was Van Jones, um, author of Rebuild the Dream, also former special advisor to the Obama White House and co-host of CNN's Crossfire. He's been um, on the ground for decades working towards um, solutions to some of our greatest uh, issues in this country, as you just heard. Thank you again to Van Jones and his team at Rebuild the Dream. And uh, we'll be going into some music right after this. The views expressed on this program are those of myself and or my guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the KHEN staff, volunteers, underwriters, or board of directors. This is KHENLP Salida, 106.9 FM on the dial.